You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Hey, hope you guys are having a great summer so far. I told you guys we'd be on a little bit of a podcast break. We are doing some different stuff. We've got some replays coming for you guys this month in here in June, if that's when you're listening to this. And then in July, we're going to point to some Devoted Live episodes that are actually on our YouTube channel. And those are videos that you can check out. So we'll, you can, if you subscribe to us, you're going to see the audio podcasts and the replays that drop there. And then also, if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Athey Women YouTube channel, you'll see those devoted live episodes. We're going to point to those. Now we're doing the pointing that I'm saying (laughs) is all through social media. So I know I have sort of this love-hate relationship with it, but it does give us a way to kind of get some new info and just kind of keep you guys up to date with what we're doing. So subscribe, follow us at Instagram at Athey Women and all those places and you'll see all this fun stuff. So, okay, enough of that. So I told you guys I might come in here and drop a few episodes just as like the Lord kind of lays some stuff on my heart. And that's what today is going to be about because I really have just I've been praying about this topic actually for a while. You know, you hear noisy things in culture sometimes. Boy, I hope that when you hear something in the world, maybe you hear a term, maybe you hear somebody say something that just feels like, "Mm, I'm not sure how that sits. And this is a term that's been doing that for me for a while, but I feel like it just continues to, it just won't go away, you know? So I felt like I wanted to really look biblically at this and I wanted to really define the terms here and hopefully equip you guys with how to just even going to scripture, really being discerning, even on your own as you hear some of these things, but don't let the world get away with stuff. So what I want to talk about today is the patriarchy. So this is such a loaded, loaded term. It's been around for a long time. I'm going to talk about the history of the term a little bit, but it's also just in the last couple years, really picked up a lot of steam. And I think it's important, especially for us as Christian women, to really understand what these terms mean. Because like I said, really loaded. They put this term to be synonymous with a lot of things that are very negative. But there's things on like, where did it come from? Hey, what does the word even patriarch mean? And what are we really saying when we say that we don't like the patriarchy? And so when I say don't like, and when you're thinking, where did this come from? Maybe I'm the only one who sees this kind of stuff. I don't know, but I kind of doubt it. I remember uh, one time my husband went to, uh, he took one of our kids to a orthodontist appointment and he came home. He was just sitting in the waiting room and he was telling me about sitting in the waiting room, watching this 10-year-old girl walk in for her orthodontist appointment, wearing this t-shirt that said, down with the patriarchy. A 10-year-old, guys. A 10-year-old wearing a shirt that says down with patriarchy. Pretty sure if she didn't pick that shirt out on her own. But I'm just saying this is a term, the patriarchy and all of the negative connotations that it seems to now have that is just kind of, I think, misused in a lot of ways. So I want to look at what the Bible says about the patriarchy. I want to show you guys what the definitions of it are. And hopefully have you just kind of wanted to Turn your discernment up when you hear things like this, because I think Christian women, we should be the last ones that are on board with this kind of bandwagon. That's kind of it has steam even in the church. So first of all, what do we mean by the patriarchy? So you guys know I love my dictionaries. I love my definitions. So I want to define what some of those terms mean. And I like to use my old 
fashion dictionary, but I'm going to contrast it with the new one too. So the old 1828 Webster that I love so much, it defines the patriarchy as just a noun. That is, it says the jurisdiction of a patriarch. Okay, so you're like, okay, well, maybe we better define patriarch too. So 1828 Webster defines patriarch as the father and a ruler of a family one who governs by paternal right, and it is usually applied to the children of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of that. So that's what 1828 says. It also adds that in the Christian church, it is a dignitary or a superior to the order of archbishops. So again, 1828, so this kind of is it's referring to in its definition to church order as well. Now, the modern dictionary, the Cambridge Dictionary that I looked up, It defines patriarchy like this. Now, I want you guys to catch this contrast. So remember, Webster 1828 just says the jurisdiction of a patriarch. Okay, so kind of the place in which he has authority, the patriarch. Okay, the modern dictionary Cambridge says a society in which the oldest male is the leader of the family or a society controlled by men in which they use their power to their own advantage. Okay, did you catch that? It is that last part said controlled by a society controlled by men in which they use their power to their own advantage. So somewhere in between Webster 1828 and Cambridge 2022, we developed this. I don't I think to say nuance is way too subtle in the this term that has taken it from here's just what it is. The jurisdiction of a patriarch, meaning a male leader of a family or a church or organization to being a way in which men use their power to their own advantage. Okay, so that's a lot right there. As I mentioned, this is a widely defined term. So Rosalind Coward, she's a a feminist, a journalist, writer, and a professor. She said this of the patriarchy. She said that the term, it is now seemingly used almost interchangeably with sexism. So that's how broad this definition has now become. So it's it's not just the jurisdiction of the patriarchs anymore. It now means that it's men misusing their power. And you can just interchange the term with sexism. And I think we see that a ton. They folks that really jump on this bandwagon of saying the patriarchy is just another way of saying in their term, um, saying sexist, saying misogynistic, saying all these really awful isms that in our current culture are just poison right? We, there's just no room for those things. Now, I want to get something out of the way with whether I'm talking about sexism or misogyny, whether I'm talking about the patriarchy, specifically with this one, I need to get something out of the way and make sure. So hear me on this. Make sure you understand. I get it that there have been men and not just past tense, but there are men currently that misuse their authority. They make abuses and they, they have misused trust And this is in a broad range of areas. It could be political office where we've seen that. It could be in your workplace. It could be, you know, a boss. It can even be in churches, sadly. And yeah, tragically, there have there are horrible husbands who have been abusive. So I I certainly don't want this to be misconstrued or misunderstood in any way that I am condoning or ignoring any of the fact that there have been situations, have been, are, and as long as there will be sin on this earth, which, by the way, is until Jesus comes back, as long as there is sin, there are going to be misuses and horrible things that happen within any kind of relationship. So that should not shock us. And I'm certainly not putting out this topic to condone or ignore any of that. 
but it's sin. That's what's at the base of that. It's just gross and awful sin. It's, it's, you know, it's sin wrapped up in rhetoric and terms that just get thrown around. But that is what is at the base of it. It's the sin. It's not the patriarchy. It's not all these terms that we've kind of liberally thrown around. It's sin. But I think it's important that we don't simply judge something on its abuses. This is very clear in almost any other thing except for in uh, words like this that we try to weaponize. But think about your car. You know, people misuse cars all the time. They, we speed, maybe you cut somebody off. There's people that are, they drink and then they drive. People get harmed. People get killed. I mean, cars can be a very dangerous, dangerous thing. And there are people that do really dumb things with their cars, with their driving. But we don't protest against the freeway system or, you know, that there's roads and traffic laws and all that. We don't protest the system that is in place that allow for such drivers to, you know, perpetrate their abuses of driving. We just don't get all in a rage about that. You see what I'm saying? Another one that gets thrown out all the time, you know, with this is biblical submission. And we're going to look at some scriptures on that, too, because this is what I was just saying. Do sometimes husbands misuse their authority in the home? There, that can happen. So does that mean submission to your own husband is bad in total? That's not true. And that's not biblical. So we have a tendency to sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater on these things. We take, as in the case, this case, the term patriarch, which didn't mean something negative in its biblical meaning. And, and we've taken it to mean this awful thing and this misuse of power and the evils of men. So back to our definitions a little bit and who are the patriarchs. Now, biblically, this is the patriarchs in the Bible are the fathers. You know, they're Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in Genesis 17, 4. Behold, my covenant is with you, Abraham, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Okay, so Abraham is set up as the father. It is it is a male role. And his covenant is here with Abraham with the patriarch, the male father figure right here in Genesis. And so that's the roots of all of this, okay? That's where that term is going to come from. Now, I read an article from The Guardian. I'll, I'll, I hesitate, guys, but because I am going to quote some of this, I will post the link to this article in the show notes so that you can go back and see it. It is written by, from what I can tell of her background, a very liberal, feminist-minded person. So her slant on the patriarchy is going to be basically what you're going to see in the world of all the ills and all the terrible things about the patriarchy. I'll post it in there so you can read that because I think it is important. We should be reading things just very discerningly. And you'll notice if you do decide to go and read this article, it's really long, so you might not want to do that. But if you do go back and read it, you're going to notice that there is going to be little little threads every now and then of like, oh, yes, that's true. And again, whenever it's going to talk about something that is just sinful and gross, that's never something we want to condone or support. But there will also be looped in there a lot of very weighted rhetoric that I think is destructive. But in this article in The Guardian, this author, she said when she's defining and giving some history on the patriarchy, she says that the word literally means rule of the father. And that's from the ancient Greek. She goes on to say there are many different ideas about its extent and force. Some people have used it to describe patterns derived from the structure of the family. To others, it's an entire system of oppression built on misogyny and the exploitation and brutalization of women. Okay, so you read that and you're like, wow, I want to have no part of that. Well, agreed. I don't think that we would want to espouse any kind of support for a system that is supporting all of those things. But then here's where the tweaking kind of happens. They're 
goal is to say that all of these evil things that are happening are because men, patriarchs, are in charge of these systems and that they are oppressing us. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but we could because, gals, you do need to hear that right now in culture, you are considered, if you're a woman, that you are oppressed. You are oppressed just because you're a woman. I think this is such a lie of the enemy. I do not think there is a shred of anything biblical in this. So, But there is so much victimization in our culture that you are a victim, you are oppressed. There's all kinds of intersectional boxes that can be checked in our culture right now. And if you're a woman, that's one of them. And they would say even, and when I say they, these are anybody that really espouse critical theory and those types of things, they will say that if you don't realize that as a woman, you are oppressed, that you are experiencing internalized oppression. Wow. Okay, that if you just don't get it, that you are oppressed as a woman, that you have just you have internalized oppression and you just haven't been enlightened to the fact of your oppression. This is not a biblical concept, guys. So we're going to get to some a whole bunch of scriptures on this, but I want to show you guys, just give you some background to define what they are referring to when they say the patriarchy and why we need this mantra of down with the patriarchy. So in this article, she continues, and I want to point this out because this truly is the goal that those that really support this whole idea, the what they say. And the goal here is they want to unravel the rule of the father. This is a quote from this article. It is likely to be the gradual shift in the way of gender and sexuality are being understood. This is how they want to do it. They want to do a gradual shift away from gender and sexuality as we now understand them. And then they want to, it says, new way, they want to have new ways of bringing up children outside of traditional family structures that will chip away at it. So will the rising generation of bold young feminists who have not internalized oppression like their elders and who are calling out sexism, misogyny where they see it. Okay, so their goal is to unravel the rule of the father. That was one thing. They want to do this by providing new ways of bringing up children outside traditional family structures. Okay, Bible readers, that should be a giant red flag of like, oh, okay. That's something that's not biblical. And they want to embolden a generation of young feminists who have not internalized their oppression. Okay, that's you just accepting the fact that you are a victim, that you have been oppressed. So there's kind of the background of where they are. You can look at other things on the history of this movement, but I think that gives you a good background on what this is. I want to dive into what the scriptures say, and, and this is the most important part. And this is why on the Devoted Podcast that we want to keep telling you to go check out your Bible, spend a ton of time in your scriptures, no matter, man, if you've got five minutes or if you've got five hours, it's so important to spend a lot of time in the word because that's just going to, it's going to sharpen your discernment with all of this noise that's out there. So we're going to take a little walk through a bunch of First Peter. And this is a lot of scripture that I'm going to be reading, but I'll try to read it slowly. I'll try to stop here and there. But I do think it's really important that we look to the word because like I said, it really keeps our discernment sharp when there's, you know, all these really loud voices in culture, or maybe you're reading an article, man, something's going to stick out to you because you're going to go, I just, I'm not sure these things that you're telling me that this jives with what the Bible says. So I'm going to start in First Peter chapter two, let's just, let's read verse one through three. So it says here in First Peter two, one through three, so put away all malice 
and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Then it says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, this is a verse that we could apply to so many areas in our lives. And then in in the information we take in and our response to it, I love this, but it stuck out to me as we talk about this issue with the patriarchy and these loud voices that are demanding that you as a woman shout that you are on board with down with the patriarchy. Let's unravel the system. That's what they're saying. But what does scripture say? So when someone is screeching down with the patriarchy, how much malice is in there? Verse one said, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Okay. How much malice is, is in that verse? If you do go back and read that article, if you do any amount of uh, research on what people are currently saying on the patriarchy, even if you follow some, even some people in the, the broader church that can say that even our churches are symbols of the evils of the patriarchy, you're going to hear a lot of malice. So put away malice and it says deceit. Yes. Is there deceit in this? There's often this distortion of terms often, and, and that's why we I always like to go back and define our terms. But why are we defining patriarchy as evil in the first place? What are the roots here? What does the Bible say? And yes, there is most definitely deception in these arguments. That's why we need to look at this, because there is deception there. Is there hypocrisy? Oh, goodness. There is so much hypocrisy in this argument, in all of these arguments. You know, here we have a battle cry to end the power of one. So that would be end the power of men to make way for the power of the other, which in this case is women. Does anybody else spot the hypocrisy in that? The men should not have power. Women should. And they would argue that, no, 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 we're not arguing that one should be over the other, which that's a really thin argument. I'm not really sure anybody would really believe that. But they would say that they are just wanting equality in everything. But folks, all out equality, it's not even consistent with our design. We did a whole episode on this. So if you didn't listen to our beautiful design series, go back and listen to that. I won't spend a ton of time on that. But just one aspect of this, physically, men are stronger, right? They should not change themselves to be something they were not created by God's design to be. And I have to say should because sadly with transgender theology claims they should do just that, that they could choose to be whatever they want, that they could take drugs, they could do different things that would make them be less physically strong. But that's against design. They are having to make a modification to what the Lord did. And it's it's never good. But equality, that's what they, they would say they're all about. And I have to say again, and uh, is as Christians who look to Jesus, equality really should not be our goal. That is just not the end all. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." I love this verse so much, guys, or these these few verses, because if anyone could have clamored for their right for equality, for their right to fair treatment, it was Jesus, perfect, sinless son of God, had every right to say that I should be treated in a different way. And yet, that's the he, his response is the opposite. 
He's humble. He empties himself, humiliating himself, even to the point of death on the cross. That is profound. And I think that is very convicting in our culture, especially with women, gals who want to just clamor for our equality and that we deserve to have all of these rights and things like that. Boy, that is really in contrast with the heart of Jesus. So back to First Peter 2. Yes, there's malice, there's deceit, there's um, hypocrisy, but is there envy? And that one's an obvious one, too, because it's coveting a power or a strength that someone else has. That's what this fight for down with the patriarchy is all about. So and of course, slander, that's on that list, too. Yep, it's oozing with slander towards the authority structures that we have in place. So I think that's a great scripture to kind of start us with in First Peter. And I, now I want to look further into First Peter, because how, does God recognize systems of power and hierarchy? So according to the patriarchy movement, and I have to say movement because I think there's actually this is a thing that we should be okay with, they would say we need to unravel these systems of power in this hierarchy, that this is a bad and evil, evil thing. So let's see what God says. Let's see what First Peter continues to say in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And that word? be subject. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. So already we're seeing hierarchy, right? We're seeing an authority structure where something is going to be higher than the other. Okay. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Strong phrase there. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. And then it ends and says, honor the emperor. Boy, this kind of sounds like God is down with systems of power and of hierarchy structures. Okay. He says the term subject in there that we're to be subject to government institutions. Romans 13 also echoes this. But a system of hierarchy, a system uh, that we are to be subject to something is biblical. First Peter goes on in um, chapter two, verse 18, and says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. This is amazing to me right here. So it goes on to say, okay, first we just talked about governments largely and that God says, yes, be subject to that. Then it breaks it down to servants. So you can even hear, think of this as your boss at work, your employment structures, the, the hierarchies that are that are represented within the places that we work. But did you notice that it said that we are to be subject to our masters with all respect? And it says not only the good and gentle ones, but it says even to the unjust. See, that is absolutely antithetical with this idea of down with the patriarchy, because it says that, man, if you are experiencing anything that is unjust, man, you got to fight tooth and nail for that. You got to fight for your rights because this isn't just, this isn't right. That is not what scripture tells us to do. It really does not tell us to fight for our rights. And in fact, it says, it says, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows and suffering, even unjustly. So what about suffering here? Because Christ gives us an example of this. If you keep going in that same chapter, chapter two, verse 21, it says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is the key. First of all, there are there's two things I want to point out, I guess, there, because one of the things is that we would hear that if we are experiencing sorrow or any kind of suffering, that is to be avoided at all cost. That's what our world tells us. And so a lot of movements that are out there right now are fighting against the capacity or in any way that we would endure suffering because that has to be avoided at all costs. That's what the world would say. Interestingly, that's not what scripture teaches though, does it? Scripture tells us that we are going to suffer. And it even tells, it just continues to point to the example of Jesus in how when he suffered and when he was reviled, when, you know, lies were thrown at him, that he did not revile in return. But here's the reason he got to do that. He said, because it was entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Often, I think when we get all upset about the injustices that are uh, in our world, first of all, again, should not surprise us. We live in a fallen, fallen world with sinful people. Our rulers are sinful. We are sinful. And so things are broken. But the the response here, the reason we don't have to be so bothered about that is because we're entrusting ourselves, just as following Jesus' example, to him who judges justly. And that's God the Father. He judges justly. And that's who we put our trust in. We don't put our trust in our government. We don't put our trust in, you know, all of our leaders that everyone's going to do everything right. No, we trust in the Lord. We trust in the Lord who judges justly. Okay, some other societal structures that the Bible puts its stamp on, but that our world would say, I don't think so. So still going on in First Peter chapter 3 says this, likewise, wives, be subject. There's that word again that you should hear that that is a hierarchy structure. Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Okay, so the example keeps coming back. Christian women, we should be leading the charge in this, okay, of being subject to our own husbands and saying this, if you're a married woman, this is the Bible saying you are to be submissive to your, your own husband. Now, we've again, this if you're that's a subject that you haven't really dug into very much, I encourage you again to go back to the beautiful design series because we looked at all of the scriptures that pertain just to that area on that. Let's look at Ephesians 5 because Ephesians 5 talks a ton about this. And What I love with Ephesians 5, you know, right before that in Ephesians 4, it's when it talks about being submissive one to another, just honoring each other, respecting each other. I love that that is the foundation in which then Paul would launch into, again, some hierarchies, some societal structures that would be deemed patriarchal. Okay, so Ephesians 5.22, when it talks about wives, it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Okay, now I have to pause just right there because we've covered that, yes, there is a submission, there's an order, a hierarchical structure when it comes to the home with wives and husbands. But did you see that it's even with Christ and his church? So that's why I think this idea of hierarchy and structures and that the Bible is actually into this is really important because, yes, it's within our relationships that we, you know, our interpersonal relationships that we have. But it goes beyond that because it says the example that it gives for this is that it's even as Christ is head of the church, 
his body and as himself a savior. Now, then it goes on in verse 24, and it says, now as the church submits to Christ. So again, there's some subjection there. There's some structure in a, a power structure. Even as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, then it goes on into a word for the husbands. I'm going to paraphrase some of this for the sake of time, but it does, the scripture does also give some pretty strong words to the men as well. Would definitely not just give them the okay to just use their authority structure in, in, in however way they want. The scriptures are not down with that. And I'm going to give you a couple examples of that. In the sphere of husbands and wives, it tells the, uh, the husband in Ephesians 5 to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, that's really profound. I know if you've read that scripture a thousand times, maybe that that verse can lose its potency. But the we're talking like that unselfish, sacrificial love that Christ died, gave his life for his church. That is the kind of love that the husband is to love his wife for. It's not something that is domineering and just bearing over her in that kind of way. That's not the model that scripture is giving. And that's why I think biblical submission is such a beautiful thing. It is such a covering. It is such a get to. And it's unfortunate that people judge it by its abuses by sinners, you know, they just see something that's been done wrong and they throw the whole thing out. But I want to highlight a couple other things in Ephesians 5 that continue in just kind of telling us that the Bible's actually into this authority structure kind of thing. In Ephesians 6, it says, uh, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live along in the land. And then I love this too, because this is telling us again, that the scripture is not just saying dads, fathers, men, do whatever you want. It says in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's a beautiful verse right there. And it's a word to the patriarchs in our lives that they are to bring their kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, moms spend a bunch of times in Proverbs and just look at that. That There is so much beautiful, very practical instruction and discipline from the Lord. But it doesn't say to provoke them. So similar to the first Peter passage about servants and masters, Ephesians adds this. It says in Ephesians uh, 6, 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, working as unto the Lord and not for man. That's a great posture to have, especially when it comes to white. First Peter said that that sometimes the the masters won't be gentle. They won't necessarily be acting justly. But Ephesians reminds us that we are to serve as unto Christ. Verse 9 continues with a word for the masters, okay? It says masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Again, this is a scripture pointing to the fact that the God is not condoning and authorizing for men, masters, patriarchs, people that are in authority to act badly. He's saying, stop threatening them. It's as if he knows that our sin is going to want to give in to that kind of thing. He's going to he knows that in our sin nature, that would be things that that men or people in power are going to want to misuse and threaten. 
And he's saying, no, don't do that. But also pointing to the fact that you're going to be reporting to the master. But this also talks about the elders in our churches. And yes, elders are men. Go read First Timothy 3. If you don't believe me, just, just read the text. They are guys for sure. But I want to read this passage in continuing on in First Peter here, because in First Peter 5, and I won't read the whole thing, but there is a little starting in verse 1, it says, chapter 5 of First Peter, verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, that's Paul, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. That is among you. And this is what he tells them to do. He says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly and not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So do you see there that the elders of the church, just as uh, the you know masters and servants, it says that they, they are going to go to the master, they, they answer to him, also elders. They are actually, they are going to the chief shepherd is the one that they give an account to. So that's a really high accountability. And he gives them instruction even on how they are supposed to hold their office, right? Not in a domineering fashion, but they are to exercise oversight. Again, we just continue to see these stamps of, yes, there is structure, there's hierarchy, there is um, these power structures, if you want to call them. Now, see, even that term has become so negative, but there is order and structure that God has put in his word in just about every capacity within the home, within the church, just in regular business life. And these are not structures that should be looked upon as negatively as what the world is saying, okay? Again, the abuses, we don't want any of that, but we want to stick with what God's word says. A few more scriptures on this, but before I I get to that, I just want to, you know, highlight as we talk about these things, we're seeing this bandwagon of all the ills of the patriarchy. I need to make sure that we understand that it, at its core, it truly is an anti-power structure of any kind. It really is. You know, they depict the evils of power structures by men. But in truth, this is it just this has Marxist roots that are just anti the Bible. It's funny because honestly, today, Marxism and those kinds of things are almost popular as crazy as that is. But do some history, uh, do some research on that. It is a very Marxist ideology is extremely anti the Bible. So that's just a freebie for you on the discernment. If you're reading something that is having a lot of um, that is even in a positive light, portraying Marxist ideology, that's a real wrong turn there. But just to prove my point here, Frederick Engels, he's the guy who wrote Communist Manifesto with Karl Marx. And Engels, in his piece, that's, it was called The Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State. This is what he argued. He argued that the patriarchy was a crucial factor in the emergence of capitalism. For him, the arrival of patriarchy, which was associated with, here you go, the recognition of fatherhood, the development of monogamous marriage and inheritable private property, those two things, so fatherhood and monogamous marriage. These are the things that the patriarchy represented, according to Friedrich Engel. It represented the world historical defeat of the female sex. The man took command in the home also, and the woman was degraded and reduced to servitude. That's what Friedrich Engels said about the patriarchy. So like I said, this term's been around for a while, and it kind of ebbs and flows, but we've seen a lot of it in the last couple years. But I want you to recognize the roots of it go back a long way, but they, they you can't ignore 
the history of it. When you, if you want to be careful about being on the bandwagon of something, if you don't understand where it came from, because these are very anti-scripture, anti-God ideas, being against power structures, being against um, fatherhood, being against monogamous marriage. These are all things that are against the Bible. Okay, I jumped around a little bit. I did want to read some more of First Peter. Maybe what you're taking away from this is maybe I should go and read First Peter because there's a lot of scripture that I think just applies so much. Let's just read a little bit more. First Peter 3 verses 4 through, well, we'll see what I stop here, but First Peter 3, 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Oh, goodness, there's so much we could talk about in this little couple verses here. The posture. I love the gentle and quiet spirit of the, that is being talked about here. And that's always a check. Man, am I approaching something with a gentle and quiet spirit? It's going to be real tricky for you to wear a t-shirt that says down with the patriarchy with a gentle and quiet spirit. I just I don't think that can be done. But even the, again, this is a putting the Lord's stamp on these these structures, even saying that Sarah submitted to Abraham. She called him Lord, meaning, again, there was this hierarchy there. There was a patriarch in charge of the family structure. And this is a good thing. This isn't a bad thing. And I love, too, though, that it says here that you will be like her, you or her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Boy, there's so many things that the world just really wants to alarm you and make you be so concerned about all the injustices that you will be inflicted, will be inflicted upon you because you're of your oppression, right? That you need to be afraid and you need to be fearful. That's not a biblical thing either. That's another one of those flags that, man, if you're feeling like you're getting fearful because of the unjustness or the things that you are experiencing in what the world is purporting as patriarchal power structures, we aren't to be fearful of that. So I love this this reminder to not fear anything that is frightening. You notice it doesn't say that there aren't things that aren't frightening. Yeah, there's frightening, but it's just saying don't be afraid of that stuff. Go back to those earlier passages where we just talked, talked about that we are trusting in the Lord. It's we are trusting in him who judges justly. That's what we're we're to be. I think Peter also gives us just some good responses that we can have in the light of just such a a turbulent and noisy and really fierce discussion about some of these things, but particularly in women's groups and, and things like that, that I think we need to be careful of. But he says in 1 Peter 3.11, it says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Are we seeking peace? Are we pursuing peace? Boy, strong words, seeking it, pursuing it, looking for it. I love that. It goes on in verse 15 of that same chapter in First Peter, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Such a good word here. It, it does tell us that we, how we're to respond with this gentleness, this respect. Remember the, the gentle and quiet spirit that we read just a minute ago, seeking peace, pursuing it. But it doesn't ignore that there's going to be things that are going to be difficult. It says when you are slandered, not if, it says when. So the thing with all of that, whether it's slander, it's whether it's discomfort, whether it's suffering, I think it's just kind of be cool with discomfort and suffering. 
And that's probably a whole episode all by itself. But I'm just to point out that when and if you face treatment that is unjust, just don't freak out. Just just trust the Lord. So a lot of scripture there, but I, I thought it was important for you guys to hear those things. And, and you always remember, I put these scriptures in the show notes so you can go back, read these on your own, pray about these, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to show you and give you understanding about what your response should be. It does. It sharpens your discernment. It gives you a posture of seeking peace and pursuing it as opposed to just jumping on some rhetoric that really is very anti the Bible. But just to conclude, there's a couple things I just want to point out with this whole thing of the patriarchy and all of the negative that surrounds it in our culture. First of all, I'm hoping that you've seen in this that we need to redeem the term a little bit. We need to realize what it really meant in the Bible, what it means, that actually patriarchs are a good thing. They're a good thing. I think we as Christian women really ought to be the biggest supporters of the patriarchs in our life. We need more patriarchs following the Bible, doing what is right. We need women that are supporting and praying for the patriarchs and not less. And by patriarch, uh, go back to those definitions. I hope you understand what I'm meaning. But I'm meaning the men that lead our churches. I'm meaning the, the husbands in our homes. I'm meaning anybody that is in that patriarchal figure for you, that there should be a patriarch that, that there is sub- submission and subjection to. Godly men in our life, if you're a single gal, you know, seeking the elders at the church and pastors in a, in a church that you are connected with and seeking them, or maybe it's a, a father or an uncle or a grandfather, but those are the male figures in our culture and they're not bad. And I think I get even a little bit more defensive about this because I hear when they want to say down with the patriarchs, the ultimate patriarch for all of us is God the Father. And it sure does seem like a really big slap to God the Father, who ultimately, as our Father in heaven, loves us, wants good things for us, cares for us, and has given us his word that has given us this beautiful order, this beautiful structure of how things should go. And yet we as sinful people, we just want to, you know, shake our fists at that. And I don't want to be any part of that. I think we need more of the patriarchal structure. Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Just check out some fatherless stats. Have you have you looked at this? I'm just going to read a couple of these to you guys. Because the fact that there are not fathers in homes right now is a giant problem. Giant, giant, giant problem. So here, just listen to a couple of these. I, I got these stats from fatherhood.org. There's lots of different really great organizations, actually, that have done some good research and s- statistical holding and things like that. And it's really quite stunning when you see what the common thread of so many of the ills in our culture are. It's actually not because we don't need the patriarchy. It's because we do need the patriarchy. Okay, just a few. Children who live with their dads do better in school, statistically speaking. Adolescent teen boys who live with their dads are less likely to carry guns and deal drugs. Boy, that's a huge one. Try in these recent school shootings and some of these horrible shootings that have happened across our country. Try to dig up how many of those came from homes that had a dad in them. That's going to be a tough one to find. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.5 million children, so more than one in four, live without a father in the home. Guys, that is a giant number. Children living without their father in a home are 47% more likely to live in poverty. 
Children with imprisoned fathers are more likely to have depression. Men with absent fathers are more likely to become absent fathers themselves. So there's this this cycle that kind of begins. I'm telling you, as you read these statistics, it's real tough to even find, you can't find anything positive that happens because a father is absent. You find everything from depression is higher, obesity is higher, poverty is higher. I mean, it's really shocking how many things are go poorly when there is not a father in the home. We need to be supporting the patriarchs in our life. We need to be encouraging them. We don't need to be tearing them down. You know, I love in Proverbs 14, 1, where it says the wise woman builds her home, but the foolish woman tears it down. We need to be women that build the men in our lives. Husbands, fathers, church leaders, we need to be building them up and not tearing them down. So there you have it. A patriarch, I'm sorry, I just don't think it's a bad thing. A system that submits to godly authority structures is not evil. And we've looked at lots of scriptures today that point out that the Bible actually says there should be authority structures. There should be hierarchy in these things. And that's not a bad thing. So, yes, we always need to go to scripture and we need to be lining up the things that we see, the things that we do with scripture. But be careful, gals, to not jump on these bandwagons that get real loud and sound all kinds of empowering to women, supposedly, but they're actually really destructive and they are not building of anything. They're not building of our societies, our communities, our families. They're certainly not building and supporting of the men in our lives. And again, like I said, this is not a stamp um, condoning of men who have behaved badly. Absolutely not. But remember, our trust is in the Lord. We're not going to fear the things that are frightening, but we're going to put our trust in the Lord and we're going to be subject to what God's word says. And God's word says that patriarchal structures are actually okay, that this is a good thing. The other thing that I just want to close with here is, can I point out what a distraction all of this is? I love when there's an opportunity, I guess, of something like this, where to me, it's it's a crazy system that people get all kinds of mad about. You can redeem it by turning to the scriptures and going, oh, what does the Bible say about that? But ultimately, when people are getting all mad And I'll take this right to Christian women. For some of the Christian women, I've heard people accuse complementarian churches like ours of being uh, patriarchal, and they're not saying that in a positive way. And I think that's so sad. I think that's not reading your Bibles. I think we need to go and look at what Scripture says about that. And then we need to be subject to it. We need to be submitted to it. The whole purpose of this podcast, we need to be devoted to what the Scriptures tell us to do. And that's okay. It's okay to be subject to something. But I I think we just need to see all these things as the distractions too for what they are of, of keeping us from taking our eyes over there for where maybe we think that the grass is greener on the other side and we're going to be treated more fairly and we're going to be without even pausing to go, man, should I even be fighting for that? Because scripture says, no, that isn't what we should be fighting for. That isn't what we should be arguing for. So I encourage you to not get distracted by all the things of this that kind of serve as just a a, a distraction from the things that are really important that we should be focusing on. But instead, I hope you look at some of these scriptures and go, man, instead of being down with the patriarchy, hey, I love the patriarchy. 
Yes, I do. I love the biblical models that he has provided us in his wisdom and his perfection for structure and order in our homes. And I pray that we as women will be leading that charge in being builders of the men in our lives and encouraging them, praying for them. But I pray that we'll kind of flip this conversation a little bit and not be tearing down the patriarchy, but be building the men in our lives. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at avcreek.com.